This is ContraZoom, a live in limbo production. This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. We are recording today, the day after the Oscars happened, and so much happened that we need to really talk about it. And I am joined today by Mehek Saeed. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm still reeling over everything that happened last night, um, but I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. In, In this era that you have been watching the Oscars, have you seen a crazier one than than the one that just happened? No, absolutely not. I mean, you can't, you know, there, there have been several award ceremonies where there have been surprise wins, but never a surprise win as a result of a huge error. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, I, my mind is still blown at what happened and I'm so overjoyed by the actual results um, that the Academy decided upon, um, although the execution was not how we had all hoped, I would imagine. But yeah, no, it was a it was a tremendous way to, and I don't mean tremendous necessarily in a positive sense, but it was a tremendous way to really wrap up the entire ceremony. I think for those of you that are living under a rock, uh, and maybe have missed it, but why are you listening to a film podcast if you you don't have a periphery <laughs> view of what happened at the Oscars? What happened was Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway accidentally announced La La Land as the winner because they were given the Best Supporting Actress envelope, which had Emma Stone's name on it, and that caused Warren Beatty to be absolutely baffled and still ended up saying La La Land, and they came up and they all said their speeches. Until they got cut off and said, no, actually, it's Moonlight, uh, which mm-hmm. was just about the craziest thing. Um, so I guess purely as far as I'm, I'm looking at this, I just I feel bad like all around because La La Land, they genuinely thought they went in and it was not out of the question for them to win. So it's not like they went with, uh, I don't know, Lion or Hacksaw Ridge or something. And it just was so left field. Like people thought that La La Land was going to win. They all get mm-hmm. up there, they say their speeches and they're all really heart- heartfelt and they're all emotional. And then it sort of like gets ripped out of their hands. And then Moonlight has to be gracious while at the same time, they're obviously excited. And it's like this weird, awkward dance of how much emotion can you really show in a moment like that mm-hmm, definitely and, and then warren Beatty and faye dunway like i feel really bad for them because it obviously was not their fault either no not at all i mean price waterhouse price water cooper house um the accounting firm that is responsible for the awards and for the announcement of the awards every single year um have a real sort of issue to deal with here and to try and figure out how exactly this happened. Now, from my understanding, um, on each side of the stage, there are suitcases which each contain the envelopes uh, with the winners. So there's two copies of each. Um, now, somehow there was a mix-up between the side of the stage that had given Emma Stone uh, her um, envelope prior to her winning. And the other one already had them. For some reason, there was a weird exchange where they gave that out again. Um, some people are saying that it's because of the actual design of the envelope and that you can't read the font as well. So it's a pure human error, which it could very much possibly be. And we are all human at the end of the day. But um, for that moment when 
you know, the La La Land crew got up there and like you said, Dakota, everyone anticipated it. So it didn't seem anything crazy. It, it made sense. Um, and then they began to accept their speech or sorry, they began to give their acceptance speech. And then you see, see all this confusion and chaos um, going on on the stage. Even, you know, Jimmy Kimmel, he was actually sitting in the audience with Matt Damon, presumably to do a little bit to end the Oscars. And he got rushed on stage to figure out what was going on. You see Emma Stone in the corner going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, because they realized that there was an error. And it, it, it's just, you know, it was, it was a really triumphant thing in the sense that, wow, it was so exciting to see that Moonlight won, which, you know, a lot of people had hoped that it would happen. But it was sad to see that, you know, La La Land had to balance, like you said, this whole, this whole concept of being gracious um, while also, you know, dealing with the disappointment of not winning. Um, and it was, it was, it was a little painfully awkward. It wasn't, you know, it was triumphant, like I said, but it was also really sad. Um, you know, a friend of mine actually put it really nicely. It was nice to see the amount of mutual respect and love between both teams in that moment. Mm-hmm. A lot of respect that, you know, kind of went on between the La La Land crew and the Moonlight crew. And, you know, even the producer from Moonlight said, you know, we were, she said that she was happy that they were happy to share the stage with La La Land. And, you know, there, you can tell there was an immense amount of respect for one another. And I'm sure during the campaign trail, they spent a lot of time with each other as well. Yeah. And I think, I think, Two two people in particular handled it excellently. Was was first was La La Land producer Jordan Horowitz, who you know people thought that maybe they're just being deferential, being like Moonlight's the real winner of the night. But he, mm-hmm. he very clearly stated, showed the ballot, explained mm-hmm. what was actually happening, so there was zero confusion and handled it very graciously. And then also mm-hmm. on the other side of things, Jimmy Kimmel saying afterwards. Guys, just remember, I know you're all rushing to your computers to make your biggest hot takes on this event. It's still just an award show. Like, this is mm-hmm. not life and death. This is just a stupid award show. So at the end of the day, chill out. And I think that kind of was like a nice sobering moment where it's like, <gasps> I was going to be bad, but you know what? Why? Why? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I just, yeah, it was, it was such a, that's like a moment I think that is going to be relived over and over and over again for quite some time. And this year will go down in the Oscar books as a result of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, speaking of Jimmy Kimmel, uh, what were your thoughts on him as a host? Because I know I personally was a little apprehensive. I'm not a big fan of his talk show. I've followed him around for a while. So I, I do know what his brand of humor was. But but at the end, what were your thoughts on him? See, I'm... Typically, I am a fan of Kimmel's humor. I I like that sort of dry, sarcastic type of humor. Um, And I find that he kind of leans towards that a lot. And also, you know, I like some of his segments, like the mean tweets, which he did last night, which was cool. Um, There were some funny ones in there. Absolutely. I think I, I thought he had some really good jokes. And, you know, like most Hollywood stages these days, they are leaning towards the political and poking fun at Donald Trump and you know the whole the whole skit of him tweeting live from the stage checking if Donald was awake and all these things like it's it's very much relevant and I I think it worked in the crowd's favor and it it was entertaining to see um what really got to me and it really kind of turned me off of his performance as a host uh were his multiple comments on the concept of people's names being regular or real or you know accessible i just 
I, it, you know, especially on the Oscar stage, um, after a year of Oscar so white, after last year when there were three Asian kids were made fun of and kind of put into the stereotype, you know, all these things that have happened and the, uh, the Academy is trying to get over that. And then as well as sort of the, situ- the political and socio situation in America, I just felt like it was a very tasteless joke and I didn't find it funny at all. And he kept repeating it in different forms throughout the night. Um, so it, that part just like, I, I didn't, I didn't like that. I didn't, it kind of, it threw me off of how he did as a host. I'm guessing you're specifically referring to the bit where they brought in, uh, the unsuspecting guests that, that thought they were on the tour and stuff. Yeah, there was that first one. So there was, um, a woman named Yulri, I think. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Oh, it rhymes with jewelry. And then he's like, Oh, like what kind of name is that? Or like, he's like, that's not a regular name. And you know, now I'm paraphrasing, but something to that point. And then he moves on to the next person who was her husband. And he said, Oh, what's your name? And he's like, Patrick. And then he's like, Oh, there you go. That's a, that's a regular name. Mm-hmm. He also made a comment, um, to Mahershala Ali about his newborn daughter and asking if she had a more, you know, more typical name or something mm, that's yeah. like, or is it as strong as Mahershala or, you know, or is it as complicated? And I just, I, I felt like those were such unnecessary comments. And in that moment I felt, you know, Mahershala Ali, I, I I am trying to imagine what he'd be like as a irritated, angry person, but he was so graceful in responding to that and handled it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I just, I didn't like it. I didn't like that at all. Yeah. The, I, I really think that hosting the Oscars is, is pretty much the toughest entertainment job that you can have because Kimmel's shtick is very, uh, can be in your face and sarcastic and things like that. It's a very hard balancing act for him to kind of do. And for the most part, like what you said, obviously is very true and, and it was unfortunate and, and sort of marred a bit of his performance. But for the most part, he seemed like he was doing a pretty decent job he took Mm -hmm. uh he did take a a few risks as far as some of his comedy went while still trying to be as pg as possible although i I basically i I wonder if you would get invited back but the thing is i almost feel that like matt damon was a co-host in the sense that he he went back to the matt damon joke so much which was funny but but it's not something that you can, if he was invited back to do it, you know, two, three years from now, you can't really do that exact same shtick again. Yeah, it really depends on how they kind of progress with that whole quote unquote rivalry on his show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, most people would only really truly understand the humor of it if they watched Kimmel or if they watched the segments online to know the sort of backstory and to see, you know, how that came about. Otherwise, I think, you know, some people might be like, oh, it's just. He's just picking a celebrity to make fun of, but it's actually, there's a little bit of history there. Yeah, um, I, I, I didn't really check to see if there was any sort of, you know, weird backlash about it. I think for the most part, people know they have a, a fun mm-hmm. little playful history. And even during the red carpet, when when Damon was being interviewed, he called Kimmel a talentless hack, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it was, it was a good thing to play up, but you're right. I don't know how successful it would be. Should he return to the Oscar stage uh, down the line? Um I kind of actually really enjoyed 
um, John Cho and Leslie Mann segment. <laughs> so when they introduced the the SciTech Awards, and mm-hmm. I, I I felt like that was really entertaining. And now I kind of want to petition for them to host the Oscars one year. Yeah, they were they were both pretty funny. You know, they both really played up the sort of ditziness of we have no idea what the technical and scientific awards really are, but you know we're going to make the most of it, which I thought was pretty adorable. Um, and, and I thought they both did a really interesting job, and they and they're both. You know, the Oscars really try to go for either a talk show host or a top flight comedian, and neither mm-hmm. of, of which they are really considered. You know, Le- Leslie Mann is obviously a very talented actress, but uh, comedic actress, but she's not really known as being like a quote unquote stand up comedian. Even someone like Whoopi Goldberg uh, or other females, Ellen DeGeneres, and things like that were. So mm-hmm. it'd be interesting if they would consider having just regular funny people hosting as opposed to being a talk show host or a top flight comedian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's, let's see who they go with next. I'm always curious to see who they'll pick and how it'll play off. I mean, like I always think of the year that Anne Hathaway and James Franco hosted, mm-hmm. <laughs> which theoretically should have been okay, but it just was so disastrous, like on so many levels. I, I feel like watching Cho and man, doing their bid and showing the clip that they did is almost what I would imagine of if the Anne Hathaway, James Franco year went as best as it possibly could, it would probably have looked something like that. Yeah, I could imagine. Like, I'm sure that's probably what they intended. Yeah. Mm Self-deprecating, admitting that, you know, they're not the quote unquote professional hosts, things like that, uh, Mm -hmm. where it was a lot more playful. Mm-hmm. But as far as other people, uh, there's quite a few performances. You know, we there were four musical performances plus the In Memoriam by uh, Sarah Bareilles. Uh, what was your thoughts on them? Especially, you know, we started out with Justin Timberlake. Yeah, I thought that was such an interesting choice to kick off the entire ceremony with Can't Stop the Feeling. I mean, I'm so used to the Oscars doing these like weird, funny, quirky sort of montages and like, you know, with the hosts, and then they jump into the opening monologue. Um, I thought it was, it felt like the Grammys, mm. to be honest. You know, I, 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 and don't get me wrong, it was a really wonderful performance, and it was Justin Timberlake to a T, you know? You had this amazing choreography. He's going through the entire, um, the entirety of the venue and walking through from outside and going through. Uh, I noticed along the way that he kind of dabbed a couple of the volunteers or the the uh, usher staff, the ushers, and then yeah. he and then he missed one of them, and I really felt for that person <laughs> in that moment. Like they they lifted their hand, and then it just didn't happen for them. But so JT gets there, and he gives the most JT possible performance, and it was entertaining. It was really fun. He gets into the crowd. He has this really cute moment with his wife, Jessica Beale, and they start dancing together. And everyone was really excited, right? I think it brought the energy up in the audience, and you could see it. You know, there's so many stars who were singing along and dancing. Um, but it felt like the Grammys to me, and I don't know if that was exactly the right place for that performance. You see, I liked it because I liked that. I feel a lot of the time, if you're not super invested into like the small categories, like someone like you and me might be, uh, the, it's such a long show that starting mm-hmm. it out with a bang really helped with being like, all right, I'm into this. Let's go. I, I've got the energy. And like, while I'm so sick of that song, I, you're right about it being just as JT as possible. I think they did. He did a really good job and, and 
brought the energy up. And I think that was really something that was quite needed. And it kind of broke out the idea that the the Oscars are just like this super stuffy award show, which I, mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Uh, what did you think of some of the other ones? So I think the standout by far uh, was the performance by, and I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing her name incorrectly, Oli'i Cravalo from the Moana film. So she voiced the, the lead character and she performed um, the, the song off the song that was nominated for best original song from that movie. That girl is 16 and she just was so poised and so dignified and sang beautifully. And it was just, it was such a flawless performance um, to the point where she even got hit by some of the dancers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and didn't even flinch. I mean, there's this whole meme going around now and the girl did not even flinch. She just held on, kept hitting her notes and was just so beautiful. I just, I, I was really, I was really stunned by that performance. And then I think the, I think, you know, the whole idea that Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling could have performed City of Stars. Um, but then chose not to and instead introduced John Legend, who is a part of the film, to sing City of Stars and audition was very interesting. Uh, it definitely kind of made you think what if um, for the soundtrack and what it would have been like had they taken a different creative direction in terms of the sonic treatment of those of those songs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting. I, I, I would have liked to have heard the stars sing live, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am a little bit curious as to why they chose not to. Yeah, well, John Legend obviously is a is a much more talented musician and singer than the both of them because that's his vocation. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously, we are getting a much more polished take on them. Uh, e- even considering the fact that he mashed them up together means that the arrangement w- was in and of itself very different than how it appears on the film and soundtrack. It was a little weird that he was singing audition just mm-hmm. because that was that was something so central to the emma stone character even if if they didn't want it to go it felt a little weird having john legend sing that song mm-hmm. that i'm sure i don't know if they could have gotten someone else to to sing it like another female pianist singer or something like that uh, i'm not sure someone who who jumps off the top of my head uh or mm-hmm. something like that it, it just seemed like a little weird that john legend was doing both of them yeah, definitely. It was it was an interesting mashup. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, City of Stars did end up winning, uh, which, mm-hmm. you know, we, we all talked about that on the podcast where it seemed like it was such a no brainer that that one would win, uh, given that it was the most popular song in a movie this year. So there really was no surprises about that one. No, not at all. Um, there were some, not necessarily surprise, but some, some really nice, pleasant, uh, occurrences, especially with, uh, as you talked about, mentioned earlier, Mahershala Ali winning for best supporting actor. Uh, and you know, you messaged me right away after that happened and you pointed something out that not even I realized, which by now everyone should probably know, but if you want to elaborate it on a little bit. Yeah. So I think we all anticipated that Mahershala Ali was going to win Best Supporting Actor, and he rightfully did. And I could not be more happy for him as, you know, as such an incredibly talented person, someone who seems incredibly genuine as well. Um, But his win is so much more than just a tribute to his work. Uh, He is the first 
Muslim actor to ever win an acting award at the Academy Awards. Not the first Muslim to ever win an Oscar. There are previous winners. Um, the mo- most recent one that I can think of is, um, I forget her last name, but her name is Charmaine, and she won in the documentary categories. She was a Pakistani female in 2012 and in 2016 she won. Uh, but Mahershala Ali is the first uh, Muslim actor uh, to ever win an Academy Award. And that just, it's its an added bonus to everything that surrounds uh, the greatness that is Moonlight and his performance. Um, and it's just so, it's so nice to come back from last year's Oscar So White and, you know, all these years of, of these diverse, diversity issues within the Academy and see someone as successful and as genuine and as charming um, and as talented as Mahershala come out on top um, in a time where, you know, there is a lot of persecution going on in America and around the world for uh, people who follow Islam and who have a certain perception of them um, to show that, you know, we, we are all equal. We are all talented. We all are deserving of opportunity. Um, and he is definitely someone who's worked incredibly hard. And it's I'm, I'm getting emotional talking about it because it was just such an important win. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many important wins that happened for Moonlight last night. Absolutely. It was, it was so fantastic that I won. And even like besides all the, the importance behind his win, Mahershala Ali is easily turning into one of the best actors of our generation. In this last year alone, I saw him in four things where he gave four very different performances. Obviously, we all know about Moonlight where he plays uh, a drug dealer that kind of has a, a nice softer side uh, in him, but we, he was also in Hidden Figures where he was probably one of the most sweetest, charming men that we've seen in recent years in movies. Uh, for those people that watched uh, Luke Cage, he was this really intimidating villain and really one of the best villains we've seen in a comic book adaptation in recent years. And he was also he's also a regular on House of Cards, and by now everyone really knows him as Remy Danton from House of Cards, and he keeps adding layers and layers to that performance where we're learning so much about this character that Ali is really bringing to that role. So all four of those things have been absolutely phenomenal and easily putting him on just about everyone's radar. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And, you know, he's someone who's come up a lot over the last few years and I can only imagine bigger and better things to come for him from this win. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then as far as Moonlight, you know, um, it won Best Picture, as we said. It also won Best Supporting Actor, like we just said. But it also got an adapted screenplay win for the director, Barry Jenkins, and the original playwright, Terrell Alvin McCraney, which was I was so happy about that because that was such a fantastic screenplay. It really... that. That screenplay made sure that there was a lot of subtleties in it. It didn't hit you over the head with the story as far as what the the plot arcs were. The dialogue was was clean, beautifully written, not awkward in any way. But, you know, these subtle little nuances of plotting the story was just so fantastic. And I think that really comes from, you know, having a solid base to work with, working from a really solid play and being able to adapt it. That definitely did mm-hmm. not hurt it as well. No, not at all. I mean, Moonlight is so beautiful for, like you said, its subtleties, as we spoke about um, on the podcast last week, for its continuity and its success in that, and for its truth. I think, um, you know, it's the first movie 
firstly, that has an all-black cast. And it's the first movie to win Best Picture surrounding black culture that doesn't have to do with slavery or maids. It doesn't star one of those, you know, it doesn't have one inkling about any of those topics, which is what we typically find, especially in mainstream film. Um, it's an independent film. It was created for $1.5 million. Um, it's a story that was based on the screenwriter's life in a sense, you know, it was about partially about his upbringing, uh, in Florida with, you know, being surrounded by drugs and being surrounded by the subculture and, the story just it and it's win the wins for moonlight just speak so much to the importance of independent filmmaking of having stories reflected on the big screen um that that relate to people of marginalized communities that talk about uh, the lgbtq community that talk about people of color um and it's it's a new lens or not a new lens because it has been explored in other films but it is a lens that has been realized and accepted and now celebrated in the way that it deserves to be. And I can only hope that we see more of this in the future, mm-hmm. that we do see more creators push these type of stories to the forefront and don't give up on telling those stories because it's so important. It's so important that kids of all backgrounds and all ethnicities and all sexualities and any preference, race, creed, that they know that they are okay and that they belong in this world. And it's films like these that help you realize that. Absolutely. It was a very, it was a very beautiful story. Uh, and I'm so happy that it, it ended up winning. Uh, and hopefully this encourages more people to, to get out there to see it because this is the lowest grossing best picture winner since the Hurt Locker. And then other than those two, they're basically on, on a league of their own as far as, grossing dollars uh for a best picture winner and hopefully this sort of helps push it up and more people go out and see it now definitely i I really hope that they choose to re-release it in theaters again um, because right now i think it's only playing in one theater in toronto which is the tiff bell Lightbox. if you guys haven't seen moonlight go see it but hopefully they'll choose to release it in theaters again it will definitely especially in the big cities it'll definitely bring a lot of people out to see them Mm mm-hmm uh, okay, uh, you know, originally it sounded like La La Land was going to win, and then it ended up not winning, but I think we should still really talk about it. Uh, it still won Best Director, and it ended up winning six awards total, so it's not like La La Land went home empty-handed. It was still the biggest winner of the night overall, mm-hmm. even if it didn't rack up all of the smaller technical categories that people thought they would. They still had some really big wins. Emma Stone winning Best Actress was huge. It got the song, it got the score, it got uh, production design. It it was out there. It really was. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, big, big wins, right? I mean, we anticipated that Damien Chazelle would take the, take the Best Director Award, and he did. And that's an incredible feat in itself, right? He is now the youngest director to ever receive the Best Director Award at the ripe age of 32. Mm-hmm. And that's inspiring in itself, right? Because there are a lot of people out there who don't think that awards like that are attainable at such a young age. Or if you, you know, even if you have the vision, it might not come to fruition, but I think his story and his persistence in his craft and in telling La La Land um, really shine through. And it's, it's, it's a great win as well. Um, Even Emma Stone, you know, at the age of 28, that's young. Like these are, these are young people, right? These are young people who are, who are getting out there and they're delivering these incredible performances. It's like last year when Brie Larson won best actress for room. 
Um, I hope people get inspired by that. Um, and Emma Stone really did do an incredible job in this film. I, it is a career high by far. Um, I know there are some people who would have hoped that Natalie Portman would have taken it or even um, Isabelle Hubert. But it's, it says something, I think. I think it says a lot about where Emma Stone is at as an actress and what it means for young people will be immeasurable in the months to come, I'm sure. Yeah, um, no. And then, yeah, production design, right? I think they won production design they as did, well. yes. Hmm. Well, awesome. not to say that, like, the best work inherently is made by, by younger people as far as art goes, because that's absolutely not true. But I, I would say that a lot of the time, some of the most groundbreaking and daring work is made by younger people because they've got uh, such a hunger to to tell their stories and to push boundaries and to fight against what they perceive as conventional art making, whether it's in movies or music or literature or art in general. Um, that's why we really see some of the best music coming from the first or second albums of artists' careers. And I think finally awarding uh, a director who who is so early in their career is crucial because y you look at someone like Martin Scorsese who had to wait forever to win the depart mm -hmm. for when for the departed when he got ignored for his earlier movies like Raging Bull and Taxi Driver like th that's absolutely ludicrous that we have to go back and be like yeah well some of the best directors ended up winning it basically as a lifetime achievement award when they were in their 60s which was a shame because you know, it's been a while since John Singleton became the youngest nominee ever. Uh, I want to say yeah. he was 24. I can't remember. I looked it up last night during the show, but I, I, I forgetting his age now for Boys mm -hmm. in the Hood. He ended up not winning, but here we have Damien Giselle being the youngest ever winner at 32. And even that, that's, well, that's fantastic. But that's not exactly super young, you know. We've got tons of great filmmakers that are in their mid to late 20s uh, mm -hmm. that really should be routinely be the ones nominated for really pushing the boundaries of what cinema as an art form can be doing. Mm -hmm. And I really think that in recent years, especially after the last two years with, with Oscar So White, where they have are making a very concerned effort to uh, diversify their voting block and not making it so old, white, and male, uh, we mm -hmm. really are going to get some some better nominations, more well-rounded nominations, not just the safer nominations. And, and hopefully starting with people like Barry Jenkins, who's also younger himself, uh, and Damien Chazelle being as young as he is, that we really start to see this where not necessarily first-time directors, but directors that are very early in their careers that are, are doing groundbreaking work are getting more recognized. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think also, you know, La La Land was kind of a big visionary picture and it was achieved beautifully and executed beautifully. Um, but I do hope that, like you said, the Academy will start to turn towards these younger talents that are out there and also turn to independent filmmaking a little bit more um, yeah. than they than they typically do for the for the awards every year. Absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. There's some there were some fun interesting surprise that occurred too. Uh, the first one really was Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them winning for Best Costume Design. I, mm -hmm. When I was looking at the awards, there were some smaller categories that if I thought La La Land was going to go out and make a big clean sweep and go full Titanic or Return of the King, 
awards like costume design, sound editing, and sound mixing were ones that definitely would have had to go to La La Land in order for them to be sort of the, the shoe-in lock for Best Picture. And once they started losing those, that's where it became more likely that someone else, whether it was Moonlight or Hidden Figures, was going to step up and end up winning Best Picture. But I think it was still uh, both an interesting and uh, very well-deserved win for Fantastic Beasts and where to find them for a costume design, beating out Jackie and La La Land, which I think were the two real front runners for that award. Mm-hmm, definitely. I think, you know, I was definitely caught up in the La La Land sweep concept, and that is why I sort of just assumed that you know, the Academy will probably go for everything that's about this new or related to this movie that's about Hollywood, because that's typically what they would do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did, I think I did say on our podcast last week that Fantastic Beasts should win. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was shocked that they won in the end. And I'm even more shocked at myself that I didn't go with my gut on it because <laughs> it made me lose points for my office tool. But <laughs> um, it's very cool that Fantastic Beasts took that award. It's the first in the Harry Potter-esque franchise slash world that the Warner, Brothers, Warner Brothers has put together uh, to win an Academy Award, even though Warner Brothers really pushed um, a bunch of the films in the Harry Potter series, especially the Deathly Hallow films. Mm-hmm. Um, Fantastic Beasts actually didn't really get much of a push in terms of Academy consideration uh, in the sort of costume, makeup, hair uh, production realm. So it was it was interesting that they won, even though there wasn't much effort put into the actual campaigning for it. Yeah, uh, I was a little disappointed that Jackie didn't win because I thought the costumes were fantastic. But uh, I think it was very well deserved for Fantastic Beasts. Were there any other real surprises for you? Uh, Pleasant or otherwise? pleasant or otherwise i think honestly hacksaw ridge will just i i anticipated that it would win something but i just i there was something like i just you know when things happen to movies like that and i'm sure it's good you know i've heard people have told me that it's it's a pretty pretty um interesting achievement in film and that you know it has its technicalities and that are done really well and everything like that but I, i still was surprised that it did take a few things away yeah, I, I agree. Once La La Land started not winning everything and Hacksaw Ridge ended up winning two awards for sound mixing and editing. Editing was the big one that I'm really surprised it ended up winning for. Um, mm-hmm. That's when it really solidified the idea that La La Land was not so secure for Best Picture. And I even joked yes. on the podcast that we recorded, I said, hey, maybe all this will all be moot because hacksaw ridge will end up winning best picture and right before they announced it, i'm like who knows maybe it will be hacksaw ridge because we clearly don't know anything yeah exactly i was you're right with the editing category i again i predicted la la land and i was quite surprised that hacksaw ridge won um i think if there's any other category that i was sort of sort of surprised but sort of not it would have been the original screenplay category um i predicted la la land um Manchester by the C1 and I, I didn't anticipate it per se but I'm not I, I get it I get why it won and I get why people gravitated towards that script and towards some of the performances in that film um, but I still wasn't quite anticipating it mm, okay I hear you mm-hmm. um yeah yeah as far as 
A real big surprise is for me. Uh, you know, I, I would really want it Natalie Portman or Ruth Nega to win for Best Actress, but I really knew that that wasn't likely to happen, that it really seemed mm-hmm. that it was going to be Emma Stone's to lose. And she did end up winning it, uh, which, which congratulations to her. But I was really pulling for, for Portman or Nega to win because I thought that they were two of the best performances all year, regardless of, <laughs> of category. Yeah, definitely. Um. And that kind of also, I guess, encapsulated for me as far as a disappointing loss. Uh, I, I wanted Doctor Strange for when visual effects I ended up going to Jungle Book, but that was still a stunning achievement, what they did with, with the visual effects for that. But overall, mm-hmm. I, I don't really have any big qualms with who won or who didn't win. Like, uh, would I would Viggo Mortensen winning for Captain Fantastic? Would that be my choice? Yeah, but like I knew that really wasn't a realistic scenario in any way, so I'm not too heartbroken over the fact that it was basically down to Casey Affleck and Denzel Washington. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm fairly, you know, I, I think we we walked through this, and I was pretty okay with the predictions that we had, and you know, in the end, the results that were achieved and I, I wasn't overly shocked or disappointed by them. Um, I actually, you know, I, I had predicted Dr. Strange because I thought Dr. Strange was really cool for the visual effects category. And then when I was watching the side tech segment with John Cho and Leslie Mann, <laughs> I realized that the jungle book had incorporated all this brand new technology to bring, um, to bring Rudyard Kipling's world to life in a really cool way. And I didn't realize that there was so much innovation in that film. Um, I, I knew there was some, but you know, when they went through that segment, I kind of realized like, okay, they, they built all this cool stuff to sort of combine, um, green screen work and, um, motion capture and all that. So it, it was very interesting to see that. And then, you know, to see it win afterwards, I was like, okay, I get it now. I, I can identify with that. Um, in terms of surprises, uh, otherwise, I think my only biggest surprise and shock, um, I, I'm not going to say that I'm disappointed, but I, I was blown away. It was, again, the best picture. That was definitely the defining moment of the night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I think someone more talented than I am, uh, maybe they even do it, uh, should really you know, maybe do a breakdown of some of the more technical categories as far as the components that go into it. Like it would be great. Like when we were, when, when you're right about when they showed the jungle book, uh, at the SciTech awards showing how they really created Baloo the bear and some of the other things that there would be nice to have some sort of behind the scenes of how the visual effects were created for the various movies, sort of a breakdown of the CGI and what they're doing with the stunts mm-hmm. and things like that. And then, you know, even going into maybe um, uh, editing, you know, showing how the edits make those nominees as strong as they do or like uh, a more closer in depth of the hair and makeup or the production design, things like that, where it'd be really nice to have like a really clear visual sense of why these movies are nominated and and what they're being recognized for. Yeah, definitely. Um because there's there's just so many finer details that a general audience member or even someone who knows a little bit about film like you and I do um, won't really recognize. Um, so it, it would be interesting to definitely learn more about that. Um, I'm just looking at some of the winners and I, I completely skipped over this, but 
best sound editing. I think it was, you know, I, I haven't watched Arrival and like I will eventually see it, but I think it's very cool that they managed to scoop up an award last night. Yeah, I expected that them category. to go over on the night and I am so happy that they won something because that is such an amazing movie. I'm still upset that Amy Adams was not nominated for actress because she was so amazing for that. Um and I would have even liked if Moonlight wasn't in the adapted screenplay category for a rival to have taken that one. Mm, okay. Okay. I think what really like hits the Amy Adams point is they had her present last night and they're like five time nominee, Amy Adams. And I'm sure everyone in the audience was like, she's been robbed. She's been robbed. Like mm-hmm. what does the woman have to do? Yeah. Because <laughs> to I think, win? <laughs> yeah, I think if she was nominated, she could have been a real threat to Emma Stone to actually win the award, both because okay. the Academy loves to play. I'm sorry and reward people for their past mistakes. And also because her performance in arrival was just that amazing. Mm-hmm. Cool. I think the one more category I just kind of want to give a shout out to is the best supporting actress category. I am so thrilled that Viola Davis won and gave such an incredible acceptance speech after the fact as well. I anticipated that she would win. Um, Like I said, in last week's podcast, I felt like Fences totally fell on her shoulders to really deliver the entire storyline. And she's so deserving. Not that there weren't other other actresses in that category who weren't as deserving as she, you know, as she was, because there were definitely some great performances. I mean, Naomi Harris would have been really cool to see her win as well, but um, I'm glad. I'm really glad Viola Davis has an Academy Award under her belt now. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I'm frustrated about was the fact that she was in the supporting category when she very clearly was the lead, mm-hmm. lead in that. That really was a two-hander of a movie between her and Denzel. Uh, yeah. And I was reading afterwards that the Tony Awards, their board actually uh, designates who falls into what category as far as if they're lead or supporting. Um mm-hmm. You know, Fences really was the Denzel Washington movie, but that's not to say that she did not have a co-lead up there with him. And I mm-hmm. really wish that the Academy would sort of outlaw the idea that this the studios can pick and choose uh, where their nominations will go to. Uh, you mm-hmm. even look back at something like... Um, Last King of Scotland, when Forrest Whitaker won. That James McAvoy is actually the lead performer in that movie, not Forrest Whitaker. He should have been a supporting actor, but instead he got pushed up to best actor because that was where they felt they had the best chance because he was really the face of that movie. And it ended mm-hmm. up winning for him, like obviously very deservingly, but still it's sort of that like, I, I feel bad. Uh, I feel bad for the other four ladies in the supporting actress character category because now, uh, Viola Davis had so much more material to work with. And a lot of the time mm-hmm. we sort of get wrapped up in this idea of more screen time equals better acting. And that was, right. I think, something that really contributed to her win. See, I don't know. I'd have to disagree with that because I feel like when I look at some of the other nominees, like Michelle Williams and Nicole Kidman, their roles were fairly minimal in their respective films, except for this one breakout moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think those performances were incredibly strong. And I think Viola Davis, while she did have more room to play with it, there is one pivotal moment in Fences where she has that. She has that. She has that that one scene that pushes her over the edge between just being a lead and then being an Academy Award 
level lead. Uh, the, and that's like why. that point where, you know, she kind of gets super emotional and her, she's there's, there's like, she's crying heavily and delivering these, like this incredible dialogue. And I, I just, I just feel like she, while she had more room to play with it, um, with her character, she also really had this one outstanding scene that kind of rose above everything else that she gave in that film. Oh, uh, I agree on that. I agree. Where I'm sort of coming from is a little bit of a spoiler alert. Uh, I'm not going to say too much about it, but uh, there's a moment in the movie where about three quarters of the way through that Denzel Washington is no longer in the movie. And then Viola Davis becomes the lead for the rest of the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think uh, like if we're talking pure screen time, she basically has the same amount as Denzel Washington, if not potentially more than him, because sure Denzel talks the whole time, but she's in the background of almost every single scene uh, mm-hmm. with him as well. So it's that, that's why it's a bit of a a bit of a head scratcher for me, where it almost seems like uh, the studio is trying to game it a little bit. And whether you believe it or not, if it was unfair or not, she did end up winning, which could have helped her push her over the top because if she was in the lead actress category she might still very well have won against emma stone but then it becomes the well the la la land momentum versus viola davis with uh with a very different performance going up against emma stone and and then what do you do there as far as who do you Mm -hmm. think is the more deserving of the two yeah and i mean you know to our listeners you should know that there is a huge political element to the Academy Awards to gaining these nominations. That's why these films hit the festival circuit the way they do. They make these grand debuts across, um, you know, festivals like TIFF, like Khan, um, and then they go on these campaign trails and they, they, you know, they, they debut their film where they have these screenings, public, private, press, and industry. They're they're everywhere, and there is a lot of purpose behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, you know, when people do can't when people do get nominated, um, it is a very much strategic decision, or the you know the result of several strategic decisions. Yeah, and then not not to go too much into um, sort of the Casey Affleck situation, but that's also something that definitely was given given a lot more spotlight because when when nom- when these nominations come out a lot of the times the other studios would try to find dirt on the nominees to sort of discredit them or you know make things a little confusing and, and muddled for some of the voters and the controversy surrounding Casey Affleck well I'm glad that really came to the surface because that that should have done that but let's not pretend that if he wasn't nominated it probably wouldn't have come out Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and so that's like another way that a lot of the studios sort of try to game it uh, as far as getting nominations and wins because for them this you know being able to put on their movie poster the DVD cover on the streaming site that's an Academy Award winning movie or even just nominated is a very big deal as far as dollars go because suddenly it gives an air of uh, excellence and uh perceived as automatically being good or great mm-hmm. and worth checking no. out. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then, so I think one of the last things I really want to talk about though, is, uh, you know, the political climate in the U S and really the rest of the ro- the world is at an all time high right now, or at least so it seems with the advent of Twitter and the 24 hour news cycle and, and things like that. Uh, while, 
Donald Trump was really only mentioned by name once during Kimmel's tweeting that you brought up earlier. He wasn't really mentioned by name at any other point, although there were quite a few direct uh, clear shots taken at him and people that uh, condone his line of thinking. Mm-hmm. I think my, um, my favorite, and it's not, you know, it wasn't as, um, as seriously political lines, um, but during the red carpet, apparently Meryl Streep, you know, when she was doing her rounds with the press, like she didn't really tell anyone what, designer she was wearing and then jimmy kimmel made this comment and i don't know if that was you know a result of him hearing that she didn't tell anyone about her dress but he made this comment to Marilyn and said hey that's a nice dress are you wearing ivanka <laughs> and i really like i kind of chuckled at that one um but i did um i did like of course you know anytime barry jenkins or mahershal ali speaks i'm just like my heart starts thumping a little bit quicker but barry jenkins um and i'm so sorry the terrell what's his last name uh, uh terrell alvin mccraney yes when they uh went up to accept their award they gave a beautiful speech about um about the climate and just they kind of alluded to it and said you know the importance of showing um these stories on film and that these these people matter and the same t- um the same thing occurred again when the producer from moonlight came up to accept best picture and um said that she wants little black boys and little little brown girls to believe that you know their stories matter and i i think that you know little comments like that really did it, it they matter more and more and more especially given the current socio-political climate in america mm-hmm. um i think Again, I'm so sorry if I, I don't have his full name correct. Um, Gail Garcia the, the, Bernal. Yes, mm-hmm. um, he he gave a nice, you know, a quick little little speech to say that he is a migrant worker. He's from Mexico, and he will never support the building of a wall. Um, mm-hmm. You know, little little moments like that. I, I think you know nobody really hit anyone else over the head with their political messages too much. Well, there was, um, but it was um, nice. When the salesman won for best uh, foreign language film in Asghar Farhadi, who, when the nominations first came out, that was right during the travel ban was being put out there was would have been denied uh, a work visa to come to the u.s but then when the ban was uh lifted and ruled unconstitutional he could have come uh but as a political statement decided not to come uh so much mm-hmm. so that uh he is actually going to uh, I, I, re- I saw an interview where he refused he will be refusing to talk about the salesman uh if it had won for best foreign film at the oscars he does not want to make any other statements his statement was was said um, at the Oscars when uh, I, I unfortunately do not have her name, but he sent uh, a prominent Iranian American uh, woman to read his quote unquote acceptance speech because it was not really an acceptance speech. It was a political statement as far as uh, why travel bans are ridiculous and in that you should not be marginalizing countries and peoples that are already marginalized by most of the world. And it was a very mm-hmm. succinct and, uh, and beautiful speech that was very necessary to be made. Uh, and it was definitely no mistake that it was uh, an Iranian female that was making this statement, an Iranian-American female that was making this statement. And I think that it was, it was very well uh, constructed by, by them to, to do this, to maximize the message. 
Definitely. And I think it only reinforced the, um, the joint statement, which was shared just a few days before the Academy Awards from all five directors nominated for the best foreign language film uh, category. Um, they all uh, contributed to a statement um, which basically spoke about the power of unity. And one line that really kind of jumped out at me um, in relation to what's been going on is, these divisive walls prevent people from experiencing something simple but fundamental, from discovering that we are all not so different. And I thought that was a, you know, what just one part of a really excellent statement to reinforce the fact that, you know, unity is stronger, that the stories that we tell in film or that are told in film matter. Um, and to show that, you know, whoever wins, it's great, but it's also just a win as a category and as creators who are out there pushing these stories. So That's it was, you know, it was, it was a really lovely statement and it was nice to see that, that sentiment reinforced uh, during the acceptance speech. Mm-hmm. And either way, the salesman is a phenomenal movie and I highly recommend uh, watching. I wrote about it a little bit in my Oscar primers and that Oscar Farhadi has a, a big following in the Western world, but I think he is very specifically still choosing to make movies that unless you are really willing to go in there with an open mind, you are most likely not going to get what he is talking about uh, because it directly challenges the beliefs as far as Western versus Eastern philosophy and how he views the world as an Iranian artist, which I think is very key key to being able to see what uh, people outside we normally interact with and and digest art from was was great to really see that. So I highly encourage people to check out The Salesman, whether or not it won for Best Foreign Film or not. It's a beautiful film. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the last thing, um, you talked about an office pool. I believe you ended up winning yours for predicting the most right still. Yeah, I did. So in the days that followed our extensive conversation and um, predictions for the Academy Awards. I really took in what you and Rachel spoke about and how you advised on it. And I actually ended up changing some of my original selections, which were shared um, in the show notes. Um, so I ended up out of the, we didn't, we didn't do all 24 categories. We did 17 of them. And out of the 17, I got 14 rights. And there were some differences between the 14 right that I selected for, um, for, the actual full 24 nominations. So I was very excited that I won. <laughs> good, good. I'm, I'm happy yeah. to hear that. I, I really enjoy listening to, to both, both what you and Rachel were saying on the episode, uh, the episodes. And that really helped inform me too, because I, I also sort of changed my final ballot a little bit. I ended up getting 16 rights, uh, based on the, predictions i made on the podcast i altered a few picks and ended up with 17 right uh it's funny i originally picked casey affleck to win best actor but on my final ballot i changed it to denzel washington but i ended up making it uh up in uh, another place I, i can't see where it is off the top of my head which i found pretty interesting but you know from the get go the hill i was willing to die on was that damien chazelle win for best director and moonlight win for best picture and here i am looking like some sort of savant or something when in reality <laughs> it was really a blind guess if i if i was actually betting money there was no way in hell i would have done that <laughs> <laughs> well i think rachel said something to the effect of you know we need to put out the belief in the universe that moonlight could win 
and whoever was doing it, I think Dakota, you had you had something going on with that because it happened. It's real. It, it really did occur last night, um, and it was a huge pinch me moment. So <laughs> I'm a big fan of the idea of director and best picture no longer being a synonymous award. Um, Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that they necessarily should not be together if it really is deserving. But I truly believe that Damien Giselle probably was the master of his craft as far as being the best overall director. I think it had some real issues as far as some of the acting and definitely the screenplay. I wasn't overly fond of, but as a movie as a whole, what he did as a director was fantastic. That said... Moonlight was the better movie. The story was better. The acting overall was better. It flowed better, which was what you want in a best picture winner. The idea of this film is heads and shoulders above the ones, the other ones in the category. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm going to continue to champion that idea that they do not need to be one in the same. That doesn't mean that they won't be from time to time. But overall, I think there is very clearly distinctions between the two categories that hopefully the Academy starts to recognize more. Yeah, I agree. I think we're going to see that more and more. And I think that's a good thing. I think we should see diversity in terms of who and what is being recognized across all of these categories. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that was a, a lot of fun. The Oscars were really interesting, gave us lots to talk about. Um, there were some really fun moments, some some really great serious moments, some really unexpected wins, a crazy shocker that we will probably literally never see again in the history mm-hmm. of the Oscars. Um, so much so that like I went and, and looked at it where the two most there's only two really two other times that a mistake like this had happened back in 1933 um the presenter opened the best director envelope and said come up and get it frank and uh frank capra jumped up out of his seat and walked up to the stage before he realized that the actual winner was for cavalcades frank lloyd Uh. Um, which is kind of funny and then which was like really stupid on behalf of the presenter to be that when you have two franks in the same category uh and then in 1964 sammy davis jr uh went to present two music related awards but he was accidentally handed the envelope for the second award first uh which resulted in him announcing a winner who wasn't in the first category so there wasn't a real mistake of oh we said the wrong winner it was he literally just announced the winner for the second category first which is more of a (laughs) funny mishappen event of just confusing the envelopes but nothing like this (laughs) no definitely not this is i have a feeling that pwc is going to be a lot more careful with their envelopes and their formatting and their suitcase distribution in the years to come as Mm -hmm. a result of this it's interesting i also Sorry, go ahead. Okay. Uh, normally, no. there's a, a segment where they show how the Oscar votes are tabulated, and they show you the backstage of uh, the very serious people with the briefcase handcuffed to their wrist, and they kind of explain the voting process and how no one knows but them. They for they they went and uh, didn't do that this year, which was kind of interesting. And sure enough, they're the ones that end up making the mistake. <laughs> yeah, I I have a feeling that people were really tired by Neil Patrick Harris's suitcase suitcase thing last year that like they just decided not to mention the suitcase at all this year mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so any final thoughts you have there um just one last little note i really really loved 
how Canada kind of got this fun shout out from Sylvain Belmar, who won, who was a sound, the sound editor for Arrival. And all he said was, Salut Montreal. <laughs> and I loved it. And yeah. that's all I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, that was great. Uh, all right. So, uh, thank you so much for being a guest on this episode. Uh, it is unfortunate that Rachel wasn't able to join us. She's in the midst of a very hectic, uh, school period where she's working on a ton of assignments and, uh, she's here in spirit and she really was a, a great influencer on me, especially with, with everything she said in our last prediction episodes. Uh, so I'm sorry that she couldn't be here, but she will be back. So have no yes. fear. Uh, but thank you, Mahek, for, for coming in. And, you know, it's always wonderful to have you on ContraZoom. Thank you so much. I love, love coming on ContraZoom. And this was so much fun. Good. Uh, where can all of our listeners find you? I'm on Twitter at What's in the Heck. What was your favorite moment of the Oscars? Let me know. And you can also find Mahek on the Capsule Podcast, which she is yes. the regular host with Sean <laughs> That is correct. Um, we took a break this week, but we will be back next week, I promise. We got to have that synergy where I, I constantly promote you guys. I know you guys definitely do your fair share to, uh, to mention this show as well, which I always appreciate hearing on when I'm listening to the your episodes. <laughs> I always tell Sean, I'm like, we got to mention ContraZoom. Like, we got to talk about film, okay? Like, we need to do a little. I just, like, I need to satisfy that on a weekly basis. So. <laughs> he always Happy forgets to... about us. I know. I'll, I'll make sure that he doesn't. Don't worry. <laughs> We're the forgotten little sibling. Uh, all right, yeah. You can follow me at DGAPA. You can also follow the show at Pod. You can check out the show notes on liveandlimbo.com. Uh, let us know what you thought about the Oscars, our picks, our prediction episode, this episode. Are we way off? Probably. Who knows? It's just a, it's just a podcast. Just like to paraphrase Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, but either way, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And have a good day. Bye-bye. Can you do me...